Hey, Shauna. Hey, Lisa. How you doing? Good. What are we going to talk about today? Oh, we're going to talk about ignorance is bliss. Just like the Matrix, do we want to take the red pill or the blue pill? Well, that is a big question, I think. So listeners, if you want to join us in this discussion and figure out whether the red pill or the blue pill is for you, join us after the break. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Okay, so red pill, blue pill, matrix reference for, yes. folks, for folks who may not be, who may be yo- younger and don't know the, ma- the matrix. I'm not sure if there'll be anyone who will mm. fall into that category. But. Right, all the way back to what, 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. Yes, yeah. so what do we have? We have Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. and the, the world is a computer-generated um, system where humans are in pods and they're kind of living in this dream state that they think is mm-hmm. real but really they're being run by this large computer system and Lawrence Fishburne um, invites Keanu Reeves to make a choice to mm-hmm. take a red pill or a blue pill and the red pill um, yeah. means that he would wake up and the blue pill means that he would stay in his current dreamlike state that he believes is reality. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, you know, I think what's so interesting about that, you know, I'm trying to, because my mind is swirling when I think about the matrix and where we are in 2020, you know, I think we've had several opportunities to pick between the red pill and the blue pill. But I think for the majority of, I would say white America, most people took the red pill, which is the unpleasant truth as George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, those, those social issues of unrest that have happened this year. Now, I'm, I know I'm limiting this to one year. We could go back many years. But within this year, I think George Floyd was like the American, you know, red pill. And it might have been the world's red pill when it comes to the state of Black folks here in America and people chose to wake up. And so when I think about the weeks following, Lisa, I know you, you and I both uh, read voraciously. We read a lot, uh, whether it's uh, listening to something on a run or what have you. But um, when I looked at the New York Times bestsellers list, the first two, three weeks of June, nine out of 10 of those books were around anti-racism or white privilege, white fragility. And so to me, I kind of feel like that's a very tangible way to see how some folks really decided I'm going to take the red pill. Yeah, I do think that this is a sign that we're in a moment for sure. And um, I think it was Will Smith that said this, I'm like flashing through all the things I read and see in my mind, but something to the effect of that police brutality or violence against uh, African-American folks, black folks in the United States is not new, right? It's not gone up. It's just now being videoed. Yes, (laughs) Um, yes. Which is, you know, then essentially has kind of put at the feet of white America Mm. um, a a reality that they can't turn their back on as easily. I mean, I think Mm. that some are are still doing that, right? But now it's like, well, there's video evidence of the disparity of the violence of the murder. Um, 
Mm. So they're being pushed into taking the red pill, right? It may not actually be voluntary. Right. Well, and you know, I think the, the red pill also is conditional too. So for example, yes, I think Will Smith or whoever said that is exactly right. But I also think that the groundwork was set for people to be still and notice more readily than ever because people were in a quarantine. And so when you were in the middle of a quarantine or you were at least staying home more, even if your state or or locale did not have an official quarantine, we were already in a slower or different pace of life that allowed us to give our attention to issues that were already there. And now you have the technology and the time to pay attention to it. So I I think there's something to be said that the uh, pandemic created a captive audience so that when these things continue to happen, people had a new awareness. And so, you know, pre 2020, people may have still been taking the the blue pill, but Mm -hmm. now there's an opportunity to uh, kind of come home um, with some of those challenges and really wrestle with them. Yeah, and I think we're definitely seeing that in triathlon and endurance sports broadly, right? A lot of companies yes, and uh, yes. businesses and and key figures are are standing up and being more vocal. And you know, it reminds me of you know I had mentioned in a previous podcast that I think that you know when I came to the U.S. in the beginning of the two thousands, like I was unfamiliar with the term white white privilege. Um, mm-hmm. And when I started to expand my mind and understand the ways in which I had social identity privilege in this world, um, that for me changed my understanding of the phrase ignorance is bliss, right? Because um, it, it just made me feel like, well, yeah, right? Like to be ignorant <laughs> about all the privileges I have and then conversely, therefore the privileges I have are at the expense of and harm to other groups, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, my ignorance around that allows me to roll through the world and not really think this affects me. But once I started to open my mind, started to read more, started to take classes, learn more, you know, I was presented with a choice, right? I was presented with a choice that we can couch as the the pill choice or whatever, but I had to Mm -hmm. like make the decision, which road did I want to walk through? Right. Mm -hmm. Did I want to go forward or just stay where I was? And Mm -hmm. the red pill is the, is the harder one. Right? Oh, for sure. It's definitely the harder one, but it's, in my opinion, the right one. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, you're bringing up a good point. It's a, it's a hard one. And it's, um, I, I want to be so careful with the ignorance is bliss piece around the popularity of now not knowing, right? So um, a lot of people, you know, they've gotten all excited over, like, for example, Robin D'Angelo's book of white fragility. That's a book that was published in 2018, I believe, but her original article came out in 2011. And so what does it mean to say that, okay, well, I've put off this decision for a long time to take the red pill, the unpleasant road, but now I'm at a place where either I need to because I feel personally convicted to do so, or I'm doing it because it's popular. So I think I'm trying to remember, Lisa, some of the, we sent so many articles back and forth, y'all, for our listeners. Um, But I think one of them was around, oh, well, when when people get upset or when they notice social unrest, they do the safe thing and they create a book club, you know, (laughs) let's let's read a book and, and pontificate about everything. But when it comes to the action after that, eh, not, not so much. And so, you know, I do think that there's uh, something to be said about what's going to be in vogue versus not, because right now, you know, let's be real about it. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it is somewhat 
popular or in vogue to have these conversations or to buy the books or to have the book clubs or, you know, go to the protest down in DC. And then I get to put my homemade sign down and go home and be comfortable again with my family. So what are we doing to make sure that this awakening is not a fad, but it's a, an ongoing struggle of understanding, re-understanding, relearning, unlearning. It, it's just a continual process and being okay with that relearning because really it, it kind of knocks our egos down, right? Because it mm -hmm. reminds us that we are, very few of us are experts in anything. And the moment that you think you're an expert, you find out how much more you don't know. And so I think that's, you know, calling people to be on this continuous road of doing better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the humility, right? Um, yes, yes, yes. And I think that um, there can be guilt associated with this. Um, mm. You know, like, so something that, so with relation to um, the climate that we're in right now, the push for racial justice, and then Will Smith's comment that this is not a new issue, right? right. You know, for folks who have been experiencing it, living it day to day, this has been a generational problem. And there are some folks primarily white folks who are waking up to the issue now, mm -hmm. which can be frustrating, certainly for people who have lived with this. Um, yes. And that can provoke, I think, some guilt, right? Around, well, gosh, why didn't I see this before, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. why didn't I mm -hmm. see this before? Like when it's right in front of your face, it seems so obvious, but like when you're going about your business and you're kind of like living in your privileged bubble, mm -hmm. because it doesn't affect you on the day to day, you don't, you don't see it, you don't notice it. Um, and that noticing piece, right. That's the, I think once you make the decision to notice and to pay attention, like you can't, you can't turn that off. Right. So mm, I like joke yeah. with my students around, you know, people, they often say to me that I destroyed Disney for them because when I start talking about <laughs> Disney and you know, the beauty and the beast is basically a highly problematic narrative where you have yes, essentially yes, yes. this angry man like imprisons a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Treats her like crap, but then, you know, like mm -hmm. she quote unquote tames him. Oh, it's so horrible. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we have these conversations and then I'm like, ah, oh, you ruined Disney for me because they can't turn that light switch off now, right? Uh, like now yeah, they right. see things differently and mm -hmm. then they're mad that they didn't see it before. That's right. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. So it's like this double mm -hmm. whammy. And I think that's certainly true for um, a, probably a good percentage of white people who are angry about what's happening, mm -hmm. right? Angry that they didn't see it sooner. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to build on that, I'm thinking too about, you know, I think that's where some of the challenge comes in, especially with the folks that are having these great awakenings around things and going back to the point of not seeing it sooner it really rattles your understanding of your whole world and your whole life because it's looking back at people you love and places that you love and experiences that you've had. And you're looking back at these people that you love saying, why didn't you tell me? Or why did you not know? Or, you know, it's, it's looking, up, looking back at your parents and grandparents and aunties, uncles and so forth and saying, you know, why didn't you say something to me? Because, you know, I never knew and you didn't tell me. And so I, I don't want to be the one that does a lot of blame throwing necessarily. But, you know, what does it mean when you realize you didn't know and you might not have had any way of knowing until you got to college or you started to study it or you had this great awakening? Um, 
But one thing I'm thinking about, um, you just brought a quote to mind. Um, a lot of people use that Verna Myers quote around diversity as being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. Um, and then someone else took it to another level that, that was saying um, equity and power is being on the planning committee, right? So, you know, taking all of that to the next level. And what I think is so, you know, crucial about that quote in particular is that I think some people are realizing that, uh, I would say white folks are realizing that people of color, in particular, we're talking about black, black folks now, but people of color have been at a party and we're about to shut the party down because we're so tired and they're showing up last minute saying, hey, let's party. Uh-uh, party's over. We're tired. We've been talking about this forever. Um, I say it all the time. I'm 42 years old. I'm not expecting you to read one book and get my experience. And so what happens when there's embedded exhaustion in both living um, as a Black person, a person of color, a woman, whatever oppressed group we want to pick on for the moment, um, what happens with that exhaustion of living that life, but then the exhaustion of having to articulate the passing of a baton to even people that are genuinely interested in doing the work that it, it's so heavy and it's, it's passing a weight. You know, even if I pick up a 50 pound weight, yeah, I've picked it up. I'm willing to put it down or pass it on to someone else, but that takes energy to even pass it to you or to someone else. And so it, it is truly exhausting. And I think, you know, at some point someone needs to write an entire book about the exhaustion, the exhaustion, I know there's been some research on it, but the exhaustion of the emotional fatigue, the racial fatigue, what that means for us right now, you know, mm -hmm. against the, the backdrop of this pandemic that's going on. Um, and, and where's the exhaustion? I mean, I know this is um, taking the analogy way too far with endurance sports, but, you know, where, where does that fatigue hit in? Where, where do we get a second wind? Do we get a second win or do we say I'm done as people who've been fighting the good fight forever? Look, somebody else do it. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. It's such a great point. I do think about that with triathlon, actually, that you have mm -hmm. um, athletes of color who have been articulating this message for some time and, and talking about how it really isn't just about numerical diversity, right? I mean, that's a piece yes. of it, but it actually goes way beyond that. And so now yes. suddenly there's this energized group of white people who are like, let's diversify triathlon, right? And um, so now kind of, we're out of step again, right? In partly <laughs> right. Because, because white people have been asleep at the wheel, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, and then kind of this energized group of white people kind of come back to all the folks of color and be like, you know, like they're ready, peppy cheerleaders. Okay, what do you need me to do? Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and I understand the question, like, what, what do you need us to do in part? Because many of us don't know what to do. Right. But then right. it's just also like an additional burden, like you said, an additional 50 pound weight that, you know, like that has, the energy has been expended in carrying it and now perhaps passing it on and then white people are kind of turning around and just giving it back. Right. Like, That's right. Here's That's your right. 50 pound weight back. I'm just going to stand on the side with my pom poms and I'm just going to cheer. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And well, and part of it is not knowing what to do. Um, and, and so I find myself in this conundrum because I've had this happen at least three times in this week alone where, you know, the, we could say nice white triathletes again. We could say nice white folks in general, whatever label, but um, nice white folks who are intentional about at least starting to engage in this work, you have the conundrum of uh, kind of two different spaces. One space where 
they are frozen in the guilt in the oh my gosh i had no idea i've now taken the red pill and i've come to this reality but i'm frozen mm -hmm. um or the what i call team doing too much you're too and too much you know you're you're doing way too much it's almost like every single second of the day there's a topic brought up about social unrest talking about justice etc which i think should happen but i also think it's nuanced so you know depending on what setting i'm in i may need to be you know the volume might need to be on 50 where in other locations it might need to be on five and so how to know it's almost like a dimmer switch on your light you know how do you mm -hmm. how do you lighten it or dim it based on the context because not every context needs a shouting match so you know when i show up into a meeting and you have you know three white women that are on 300 when it comes to social injustice and not that i disagreed with a word i agreed with everything um but they came into a room where they assumed that most people disagreed with them and everyone agreed so there was no need to shout it was a need to strategize right mm -hmm. and so you know how do you uh temper this nuanced approach in these ways and so bringing it back to you know endurance sports in particular i'm thinking about what's the right tone based on the setting and what's the right um what's the right tone and what's the right volume um with which to use um depending on where it is so for example if i'm engaging um you know a business that makes wheels for my bike that might be quite different from marketing for very expensive kits and every time i see a picture i see a bunch of white folks in the picture you know i will need to use a different tone based off of where i am within the industry um or if i'm just talking to you know a group of runners and the group of runner runners is not very diverse how would i uh bring the volume up or down based on the setting mm -hmm. um and that comes with practice and nuance for white folks you know right now mm -hmm. they may be on 100 because they're like oh my gosh i have so much work to do and they do but how do we practice that volume adjustment on that dimmer i guess yeah that's such a great connection it's making me think of like student development theory and um oh yes. you know these identity or identity development theory i guess more broadly and it's like <laughs> this the point at the the taking of the red pill is like the awakening and so then so whether that's you're a guy that's waking up to kind of uh, feminism or mm. sexism or you're a white person waking up to racism or you're um, an able-bodied person temporarily able-bodied person waking up to disability right like yes, like yes you're like in it to win it at that point right because you're like <laughs> you've made the choice you've embraced it and you are like you said you're on 500 and you will talk to anyone you will tell anyone absolutely you assume no one else agrees with you so you go in kind of with a hammer right oh gosh um, yes Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. over time, that kind of, um, in my experience, that that uh, subdues a little bit, and then there's a more of an awareness around the nuance that you just articulated, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so then there's more strategy that tends to happen. But I think a lot of people right now are kind of in that, like if they've made the choice, I'm going to walk this path. I know it's hard, but I'm going to do it. They are in it 150 percent. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they're all the way in, and you know, I think it's it's pretty cool though to see all right let me get in the the in-between of that um the people that are frozen the people that are on 500 and then the people that have always had this stance of equity inclusion that identify as white and they're turning their volume up to say i've always been here i've always wanted people of color i've noticed mm -hmm. how i've gone to an event of 2000 athletes and i could count how many people of color were there uh, based on perception on two hands you know I, I think that's 
something something to think about too because i don't want to necessarily discount everyone who's been in the fight as allies right. either that they've had a voice all along so okay so maybe we're making a connection here lisa that the the folks that have newly taken the red pill here with the unpleasant path maybe the learning needs to come from allies who've been in the fight for so long so that they can do their thing as far as the learning and the growth be in consult with mm -hmm. oppressed groups but not overburden the oppressed groups to do the actual work maybe yes. that's a solution um mm -hmm. but but there there has to be a way because i don't think it's an all or nothing where you know you never talked about social justice now there are folks that truly have been for many years um so maybe that's mm -hmm. the connection yeah i agree actually because you're right because it is the continuum right it's not it's not an all or nothing um proposition so there's definitely been people kind of in the in this world doing the work of of all uh positionalities um allyship as well and so i think we we've talked about this a little more right in other podcasts or maybe just in other conversations right, where right. um there's there's a role for white people who have been doing this work there's a role for men who have been doing anti-sexism work there's a role mm -hmm. for um straight people who have been working on transphobia or homophobia right to provide that guide uh, or guidance right yeah. um mm -hmm. for kind of newly initiated people who might be frozen um scared like their carpet has literally been pulled out from under them <laughs> right, right and so right, then they just right. don't know which way to turn and they're perhaps even teetering about kind of mm. going backwards right like can i kind of just go back to sleep at the wheel mm. right because that know. would be more yeah. comfortable yeah that would be more comfortable right yeah mm. whether you can i i'm actually skeptical whether once you take a step forward it's possible i think it becomes oh. it becomes willful do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. so if i know that the, these problems exist but it's too hard for me to engage with my privilege or to try and um do some kind of activism and whatever that looks like for me mm -hmm. and then i go back to sleeping at the wheel because that's more comfortable then i it's something different right that it's not ignorance then it that's feels right. like it's just willful it's willful ignorance mm -hmm. right versus um unconscious maybe oh for sure for sure you it's um goes back to Maya Angelou's qu uh, quote when you know better you do better mm. so what happens when you knew better and you didn't do better you know mm -hmm. you, you knew you knew what you should do I mean I feel like I'm talking to my sons you knew you shouldn't have done that but you did it anyway <laughs> um, or you you knew you shouldn't have allowed that to happen and you did um and so you know I think that's so you know bringing that back to endurance sports it's like you know, for some folks, they have major challenges when it comes to endurance sports. I, I don't know about anyone else that might be a listener, but for me, I wasn't a lifetime athlete. I was one that came to any sort of athleticism later, much later on in life. Um, so I've only been doing uh, triathlon for about seven seasons now. Um, and so given that, um, there are struggles enough with what we do. And so what happens when you add on the additional struggle of when I'm in community in endurance sports, that also allows me to cross paths with many people different from myself. How do I continuously mm -hmm. and purposefully engage with people who are different from myself that I want to connect with because we do have the commonality of endurance sports and that may be our only commonality, but what does that mean as far as my support of their humanity, um, my uh, resistance to any injustice that might happen to them what does that mean and so you know it's it's another point to wrestle with that you know i i always love the parallel between justice and endurance sports because 
they both feel never ending. I mean, that's the whole point of endurance sports. It feels never ending. There, there is a finish line eventually, but um, the point is to be ongoing is, is really the key. And getting that resilience that mm-hmm. uh, Robin D'Angelo talks about is, you know, when do you get that resilience that you can persevere, even when it's tough to talk about these issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're building a muscle. Right. Mm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I yeah. think, I think that this also harkens back to some of the other conversations we've had where we're trying to tell people to have a phased approach. Right. So don't jump in at the deep end because you haven't mm-hmm. built the muscle yet. That's right. Um, That's right. And so if you're on 500 because you're in it to win it, cause you just realized all of this stuff. Right. And then you jump to a solution that hasn't considered strategy nuance, hasn't considered the people that have come before you, the things that have worked or haven't worked. Um, those, that kind of the question asking all of that stuff, then you're perhaps setting yourself up for failure, which, um, can feel very debilitating Mm. and may send you back into the land of comfort, right? Because you're like, well, it just doesn't work. Well, and isn't that you're bringing up a great point because isn't that a point of privilege though? Because I'm, I'm thinking about how, okay. So when my, when my sons first started learning how to swim, they were the kids that literally walked over to the eight foot side of the pool and were ready to jump in. Right. And I'm looking at them saying, sons, mommy can swim, but you all on the other hand have a little bit of work to do. (laughs) And there is a inflated ego with little boys, my little boys, um, that they were like, Oh, we can do this. That looks easy. Let's go for it. And I wonder if the same dynamic is happening when it comes to having these conversations, because I feel like there might be this switch or at least this corner that's being turned where white folks are saying, it's not a matter of if I can have these conversations, it's just a matter that I've never uh, been intentional about having the conversation. So sure, I can swim the English Channel right now if I really wanted to. Now, those of us who are swimmers know that's not the truth. I, I need you to go 500, 1,000, a mile, couple miles, seven miles. <laughs> and, and so, and that's what we're trying to convey is that let's not have an inflated um, ego or understanding of what we can actually accomplish and what we can't. My, my favorite analogy to this is during the Olympic season, of course, and of course, everybody, even non-swimmers and people that just appreciate him as a fan, especially here in this uh, Baltimore DMV area, everybody watches Michael Phelps swim. And most people, especially those who are not swimmers, watch him and think that 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 looks pretty easy to me. I mean, who couldn't swim, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, they need that little line that goes across the screen. The the last person to finish at the Olympics is still faster than most human beings that we know. They have capabilities and they have built up this muscle that they can do. And so just because it looks easy, that doesn't mean it is easy. The, the saying goes, looks easy, does hard. And I think that's the case with these conversations is that some people think, oh, I just need to turn on this switch and I can, you know, readily talk about race and religion and sexual orientation, et cetera. There, there has to be a growth and, you know, walking in mm-hmm. from the shore rather than continuously jumping in from the deep end. I just think it's a, it's more it's underestimated as a process and it's a shame because that's how people get caught up and get in trouble because they don't even sometimes have the language to talk about the topics, much less go that far in the deep end. No, I agree. And I do think it is a point of privilege. I think the giving up because it's not, it's too hard or Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't work. That's a point of privilege as much as the belief that I can just do this without any muscle development. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And so you've kind of got to, uh, is it a spectrum maybe where you have, but privilege exists along it or at both ends of it, right? Where, yes. you know, I could just say, you know what, this racial justice thing in triathlon is too difficult, right? No one's listening. It's too difficult to break into kind of these like long-term power structures that don't want to hear mm-hmm. um, the underlying issues, right? But to do that would be absolutely... Um, an exercise in privilege because I can go about my day. I can go back to some version of that ignorance is bliss, right? Yes. Where, um, yes. again, but it would be willful in my opinion, right? Because I would, mm-hmm. I would know better and I should be doing better and I'm choosing not to. Um, oh, yeah. so that's the privilege because, you know, folks of color, women, trans people, um, members of the LGBT community, um, they are not able to like quote unquote, go back. Right. Mm, that's it. Um, yep. so they're, yep persistently daily confronted with the injustice in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I do think that that's really important to keep on keeping on, right. Once Mm -hmm. you've, once you've taken the red pill and you're on that unpleasant path um, Mm -hmm. because to retreat is just an, is an expression of your privilege as much as it is to roll into a room and say, you can do a diversity, equity and inclusion training because mm-hmm. you now you're now woke, right? <laughs> I despise that word woke. I think we have just beaten that word to smithereens. Um, and and I and you know, but I I think it's hilarious though because it's like, you know, for oppressed groups, they don't have the privilege of sleeping. You know, yes. since we're, if we're going to talk about wokeness, let's talk about being asleep. Mm-hmm. We don't have the privilege of not being aware of blackness or not being aware of being a part of a of the LGBT communities. That there's the privilege is not there. We can't fall asleep on the job. We can't right. fall asleep at the wheel, like you were mentioning before. That it it's literally life or death if we're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to pay attention to where I run, where I bike, where, whereas if I were out training with you, I would, I may not have to think about it as much because I'm with you and I could even ride sometimes on the coattails of the privilege of, oh, I'm okay because I'm with Lisa and this is her area. This is her neighborhood. Whereas that may not be the case um, for many others. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, do we have the luxury to be asleep? white folks have had it for many years and maybe 2020 is the year where there's this new awakening but you know white folks are like look we're tired from being awake for so long mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in fact exa- we are in sleep deprivation right now from being awake for so long so it's now time for someone else to wake up and take over the the mantle there with the actual work yeah i think i i mean i think we've got a lot of good analogies here and i do think the sleep is an excellent one right because yeah it's tiring um, but mm-hmm. hello, uh, right. non-white people have been, you know, like you said, you're at, um, like major sleep deficiency and, uh, mm-hmm. like rolling on empty on an empty gas tank at this point, because it's a, mm-hmm. a daily experience. Um, Absolutely. so I just think that if we, if folks with privilege, whatever identity privilege that is, that we're, you know, based on the, the group that we're talking about, if we don't maintain this alert status, this kind of, um, I am going to be brave. I'm going to step up and I'm going to do this. And I should have done it a long time ago. Then we limit our engagement in social change. 
mm-hmm. right? Because oh, yeah. we, we, and then we get frozen also, you had mentioned this earlier about, I don't have all the information. So I've got to have all the information because if I don't have all the information, then I can't make a good decision and I can't move forward. And so then that also freezes action, mm-hmm. right? right? Like being That's so right. concerned that you don't have all the information um, as a person with privilege. Right. Absolutely. And we will always have incomplete information. You know, again, that's the easy route of, okay, I'm not going to make any, you know, quick moves until I have all the information. We never have full information. We have increasing information and we have increasing Mm. knowledge about these topics, but we never have complete information. Even for those of us who, you know, are considered experts and professionals and get paid for what we do. We, we, we are in fact, only the more educated and more informed about a topic to make a more educated guess as to where we should go next. So even our estimations of what should happen next are not like chiseled in stone and right. we know exactly what to do. We're just like, I, I think about a, a medical doctor's, you know, diagnosis and writing a prescription. They're writing a prescription based off of best case information, um, most of the education that they've gotten and what they've seen in practice. But there's always this anomaly of maybe we should have done something a little differently. And so it's a constant um, adjustment everything that we're experiencing is constant adjustments and we'll be adjusting for the rest of our lives. Um, and so it's a matter of, are, are we invested in adjusting or do we think that this life is going to be on autopilot? And, and I don't think so. I think the, the blue pill itself has been the autopilot forever. Yeah. And so the red pill brings us back to, Oh no, this, no, you don't have power steering anymore. You have to do this yourself. And are you going to take on that responsibility and the challenge of doing it yourself? So, um, you know, for those that are kind of turning that corner of waking up from their blissful sleep, you know, yes, it might seem more comfortable to go back to ignorance, but you can't unknow it. You know, now you do know it. And that knowing brings a greater responsibility to do better, um, as as Maya Angelou called us to do. So, you know, I think um, uh, be ready. (laughs) That's all I can really say. I feel like saying get ready, uh, because as you learn more, more responsibility comes upon you, more things are required of you. Um, and so what does that mean? And, and if you're willing to make that investment, it's going to require more and more every level, every rung of the ladder that you go up as far as your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that is perhaps a great way to frame where triathlon finds itself at this moment and then more broadly mm-hmm. endurance sports and then, you know, above and beyond even the sport context, our culture, um, yeah. U S yeah. culture, um, mm-hmm is you, there's a, there's a choice that needs to be made. Mm-hmm. And um, one is with humility and with openness. And the other is a return to what was right. And the, what mm-hmm. was doesn't, doesn't benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. So I think, you know, at this point we're, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Lisa, but I I do know that we've spent the majority of our lives and probably anticipate spending much more time keeping people awake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, keeping people awake. This is reminding me of every morning when I'm, I'm waking up my youngest son and he's not an early riser at all, but you have to go wake him up several times because he'll crawl back into bed and try to go back to sleep. And that's my hope is that people who listen to us don't try to pull off what Kendrick tries to do, which is to crawl back into bed and go back to sleep. Right. (laughs) Wake up, son, wake up. Um, 
but you know that that's probably what we're saying wake up america wake up the world wake up the endurance world it's time to wake up because ignorance truly is not bliss and you have no clue how much um so many people are hurting and including yourselves hurting to a, a lesser mm. extent everyone is hurt by not knowing or not doing right everybody yeah yeah, and I just the, the, you had some such great analogies and comparisons today. I love the the wake like waking up your kid, right? And then it just makes me think of like some people just need a gentle nudge, and a, <laughs> it's time to get up. And other people need like a gong, right? Like oh, a, like a symbol sure. or a drum or some like loud something, sure. right? And mm. part of knowing who needs what is part of that journey <laughs> is part of that nuance. And you know, sometimes I just feel like. I want to roll around with a drum. That's <laughs> you know, it. like I have days like That's that. Where I just want to be like, I don't care if this is annoying. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Oh, it reminds me of when you go into the, um, the, the hotels that are um, made for differently abled folks. And so it has the, um, I don't know what this little machine is, but it's connected to the bed that actually shakes the bed to mm. wake someone up that wouldn't hit their alarm. So it shakes the bed. There's also, of course, a traditional alarm on the wall, but it also has a blinking light on it to wake you up for a fire alarm. All these different things. I feel like if we could just, you know, shut America, especially white America up in this room and have all these alarms going on at the same time, um, especially for those that are kind of entrenched in their deep sleep, you know, mm. maybe we could get somewhere. We could get yeah. a long way, I think, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we had a great thinking through the red pill, blue pill, ignorance <laughs> is bliss discussion today. Um, hopefully it's given folks some food for thought around your role in triathlon, endurance sports, in life, in family, with your friends, about how you want to approach these things and whether you want to forge forward and what it means if you make the choice not to, right? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I feel like we're, uh, we're trying to be Lawrence Fishburne, right? We're, we're yeah. offering this option. We're hoping that you're going for the red pill. But, you know, for those of you who are thinking about it, are you taking the red pill or the blue pill? Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you are. And if there are people that you feel need to wake up, then maybe share this podcast with them. Um, ask mm -hmm. them to wake up. Ask them to, to think intentionally about difference and injustice and what they can do differently. Yeah. There you have it. The unfazed podcast is the red pill. <laughs> there you go. There you Share go. it with people, share it with your friends, your family, social exactly. media, put it out there so that we can, we can mass some more, <laughs> some more um, woken folks. There you go. Exactly. We're all trying to break out of this matrix here. Yep. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks, Lisa. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.